When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grasshopper, the selfish one, or was it the ant? I don't know, but I do know that I'm your co-host, Josiah Jacobs. You didn't have to. You didn't have to cut me off, nigga. You could have just kept going with it. We were gonna get to the intro. We gotta get well, the okay. intro. Okay. Okay. I am your co-host, Mike Blue. And today, you guys are listening to the Black Lotus Podcast. Welcome. You know, uh, it, it's been a while since since since, since me and Michael recorded a podcast together. Uh, I, I know the fans have definitely been waiting for show. Yeah, man. Been, um, it, it feels good to get back on the mic for real, man. I'm not going to lie. Over these last few months, I have not recorded a podcast. I'm, I This is my first time being on a mic since the last time me and Joey's record. Uh, take it back. I did one solo one before this, but I'm not releasing that one. Uh, for real? When? Yeah, I did that like three days ago. But that's not that's. that's not right. Uh. Yeah. So this is my first time for real, like on a, on a mic for real, like you know what I'm saying. So. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on here. Michael, what do you feel like? Um, I would say. What was the last episode that we recorded together? When, when it was just me and you? Just me and you? I think it was the... Uh, I think that was... The con- it was the... the Black, Black American Stream of Consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Of episode 58. Nah. 56. Man. That was 56. Cool. That was one of the greatest Black Lotus episodes because we really expressed... Or we kind of gave... Uh, Epilogue or prologue to what we thought as black men in America. Yeah, it's it's like like, like purely in our brains, though. You know what I'm saying? How we thought, like 
who are either, you know, how on our everyday lives or like how we react to things. That's a fact. Yeah, it's definitely um it, it's just one of the, the pantheon episodes. Facts. <laughs> like I was referring to on the Instagram story <laughs> the other day. Um, just because of how it was two hours of me and Michael just talking about straight black <laughs> straight black stuff, you yeah. know. Like um we really I think when we was just sitting down it was a it was around like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. It was still <laughs> light outside. That's fair. It was just it was a beautiful day outside too. It was a nice day. We just sat down. We were just talking about about what's really going on in the community and our thoughts about it. But um it's kinda crazy how how it's been over a year since that episode. Oh my god, it has? Yeah, bro. It's been over over a year? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. We what? recorded that like That I mean, was that was it. Wait, was that? It no. released in it released in October, but we recorded it in July. Of last year? Yeah. Wow. That's it was like June crazy. or July. Yeah, bro. Man. It's been... We be spacing these podcasts out. I'm not going to lie, guys. We going to start bringing them to you real soon, like every week. I'm not going to lie. Like it's, I'm, I'm promising you guys this now. Right here, right now. I don't know what episode this is going to be. But I promise you the next one is going to be real soon, which is going to be... I don't know how many episodes we have in the vault. Is it like... Almost 100? Huh? It's like almost 100 episodes? You talking about... Like, in the vault? You, not, not, well, not in the vault. You're talking about overall? Yeah. No, I'm saying, yeah, like, to total. Total us out. Like, by the time we release everything right now, how many would we have? It's like 100, right? Oh, no, it wouldn't be 100, bro. It would probably be around, like... Like 80? Probably like 80, 82. Yeah, like 80, 82. This will, so the next one's going to be 83. Promise that. No, no, no. This episode is dropping... It's 83? No, this is going to be 71. It's 71? Yeah. Next one will be 72. Right. In a week. Let's, I wouldn't say a week. Let's say every 10 days. Okay. Every 10 days. We'll give you another one. In 10 days. Uh, our, our podcast. 70, is- 74. Wait, what do you mean? We'll just give you 74 in 10 days. No, we're on 70 right now. Oh, 71. So this was going to be 71. Edit that real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's a big edit. We'll give you 72 in 10 days, which is going to be an older podcast. We'll give you a new podcast on 73 in 20 days. Hey, bro. Every 10 days. That's right. a goal. Um, uh, I, I really hope y'all are able to listen to everything, though. Our podcast be long, so... Yeah, it's, it's gonna of, get long tonight, bro. It's a lot of information to go through, you know. But the last, I want to go back to an, an older episode. Hmm. I want to go back to, I believe episode twenty four. Let me. Gee, that's that's a while back, man. Let me, let me, let me check. Yeah, no, episode twenty six. Episode twenty six. You wanna know what episode twenty six was? What? The growth mindset two. Oh my god. I'm not gonna lie, this is the growth mindset three. And I'm going to say that this will be called 
coming out of the black hole. I wanted to tell Joey this on this live. Why I thought instead of coming into the black hole, this is us coming out of the black hole. We were already in the black hole. We had been seeing and perceiving a lot of different things through our childhood. All these things are reactions and ramifications of the things that we couldn't control, which is a black hole of chaos. Because if you cannot control something, then if there's no control within your own domain, then it's chaos. So therefore, stepping out of the black hole and coming into our realization that we are men, black men at that, we are taking control of our domain. Okay. Okay, so how do you feel like what you're saying now differs from where you were last time we recorded a growth mindset episode and that was May 2021. We were trying to figure out who we were as men. You feel me? We understood that we had a black identity. But we were trying to figure out who we were as men. A lot of the people who we were watching were black men, yes. But it didn't really specifically tie together that we were black men in a sense. Like the fact that a black man is realized that he is like, how do I explain this? A black man who realizes that he's a black man must realize two things. One, you are a black man first, how you are seen. So therefore, that is how you must react. Or not react, but that is who you must internalize yourself to be. And number two, because of that, you should have empathy to your brother, brother. For your to your fellow brother, I should say. Or sister. Or non binary. <laughs> That's real, bro. I think that um, compared to how we were thinking two years ago. Yeah. We were we were coming into our um, coming into a greater understanding of our blackness. Yeah. I think you, you can tell that just through the um through the things that we were talking about through the things that we were I would say reading, talking about just where we were, I feel like, um, in we May, and, and yeah, we were growing, bro. Yeah. Um, we were, we were emerging, I should say, uh, not necessarily growing. We were coming like out the soil. Yeah, you know, I, I think we were coming out the soil just from the standpoint of like, we we had experienced a lot of lessons 
um, we had learned a lot of things from from I'll say May twenty twenty to May twenty twenty one, but we were starting to gain a, a wider understanding of what was going on, and yeah. um, I think one of a big uh, a, a a big turning point in our ideology was reading Black Rednecks and White Liberals, which was one of the first books. But we've read multiple since then. We have. We've, we've read a plethora of books since then. We have read a lot of books since then. <laughs> that was like one of the first books we've ever read together. But, bro, we've, I, I mean, I know that you have. I mean, I have read multiple books since then. Yeah, it's it's been a lot, and um, just uh, just f- further reflections that I have about that book. Um, I think that at the time, it it felt like it felt like extremely profound scholarship. That's very true, and, and and it still is. Yeah, but I do have a, some some qualms about Thomas Sowell. Oh, I like this. Yeah, as as I've grown in my intellectual journey. I feel like there are a few things that she has written about that have given a lot of conservative white males talking points against Mm. issues that I deem as important, like reparations. Okay. Um, Why do you feel so strongly about reparations, I must ask? Let's, Let's take a diversion... Let's let's take a let's let's take a uh, let's take a I don't know what is this exit off the highway or a let's take a quick break and talk about this. I would say that I feel strongly about it just because I would say that a few years ago I didn't feel like we needed them because I feel like the popular sentiment is like oh black people need to be ready for reparations all that S- something that. A, a belief that we actually, you know, had had argued about. Yeah, I was. I, I uh, asked, yeah, I was. I was. I was. I was like, I'm thinking in my head. I'm preparing the argument right now. Last <laughs> week, you know, and like, I understand that the the perspective of like black people aren't ready, te- technically, I guess, for reparations. But it's like, are you supposed to be ready to receive? When, when you think about other groups. Who have gotten reparations from the United States? Were they ready? I mean, after World War Two. Uh, yeah, but I'll be let you keep going. I, 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 after World War Two, were the were the Euro- were the European Jews ready to receive reparations after after two yeah. after <laughs> after after two thirds of their population had been killed, given reparations? From from the United States, who did nothing to them with the Marshall Plan. I think that through my deeper understanding of history that I have now, I think that you don't even need to use slavery to give reparations to black people. I don't agree. I, I don't disagree with that. I think that you could go from the year 1865 to now to to honestly 1965 or you could do 1994 
or 2000 to make an argument for reparations for black people. And the reason for that is when you go throughout the history and the things that black people have endured in this country, most notably the practice of um, redlining, urban renewal, mass incarceration, debt peonage, the destruction of over 300 all-black towns and communities. Oh, my God. Bombings and floodings. Bombings, floodings, coups. Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898. Um, Springfield. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, Springfield, Rosewood, Wilmington, Tulsa, the Ocoee, uh, uh, Florida. Central Park. <laughs> The list goes on and on. You know, I think that... And, and, and those those are just communities that were destroyed violently. Yeah. We're not even talking about the communities that were destroyed. Economically. Nah. S- systemically by the United States government. By building highways. Oh, yeah, with the uh, Urban Renewal Act. Urban Renewal. Yeah. In the 1956 Highway oh, Commission yeah. Act. Yeah. Which, I mean, I mean, we, we need to really go in and we need to really go back and look at that, I mean, you just, just next time you're driving on the highway, whatever city you live in in the United States, I want you to think that that highway was probably constructed over a black community. Facts. San Francisco, California. I mean, San Francisco is a great example of that. There, okay, in the 1950s, urban renewal was taking place heavily in San Francisco and. They had a system of San Francisco was trying to get more money from the federal government. And I learned this just today. I learned a little bit of it. So I, I won't be able to explain it the best, but I can explain it to the best of my ability. And basically, they was talking about how there were different things that they had outlined that were negatives for the city. There was like tuberculosis, yeah. like a high like a high crime rate. Is that because or just like, or just a crime rate, and then the other one, there were there were six bad. There were six blights. Okay. One of the one of the blights was non-white population. That's a blight. Yes. That's crazy. The Fillmore District was in one of those. Fell fell in fell obviously fell into the blight because it was all black. Yeah. Fil- Fillmore Street was thriving with all black. Was all thriving all black community San Francisco. It was one of the most fun places to be in the time. It was called the Harlem of the West in that time period. And I've told this story a few times in the podcast, but I'll give a quick synopsis. My great-grandmother got kicked out of her house because of, imminent, because of the practice of eminent domain. We relocated her to Southeast San Francisco along with a lot of other black people. Kicked them all out of the communities. Then... They built the Gary Street Expressway through the Fillmore District, destroying a whole bunch of black business and com- businesses and communities and, and destroying tons of wealth for black Americans. This, this land is worth millions now. The house that my great-grandmother would have eventually passed down to my millions. family, hundreds of millions, that's an exaggeration, of course, Collectively, yeah, hundreds of millions. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, Almost billions. And I, I, I think that these stories are important 
to to remember because we people don't really know about them. Along with the fact that they to, all these black people who they said they didn't really give them a choice. They was like, "We're gonna tear down your home. You're gonna move over to Bayview." Um, a lot, a lot of oftentimes they put these people into into projects in Bayview. Double Rock was one of them. Took away their homes. Now they have. Now they own nothing. Own nothing and be happy, pretty much. And once they move over there, once a lot of black people move, once a lot of black people moved over to that area, since they were, since since black people were moving over, and when and when black people move, the property values go down. A lot of a lot of a lot of businesses left. Mm. A lot of businesses couldn't get loans. Yeah. I was about to ask you. So why why didn't the black businesses move over to the black neighborhood? But you're saying it was already hard enough for them to get loans the first time. Why would they get them the second time? Because they're back. Because they're already because the business loan over there had already dropped through because they didn't fulfill their uh, business loan. Uh, I mean, it's just like a thing of like businesses don't just sprout up. Yeah, you know they're like, built. Like the the, 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 to... they're built over time. Yeah. The Fillmore district had been built over decades. Yeah, you know, um, a couple generations. Yeah, exactly. And I think that going back to the whole reparations talk, you can go through every look, literally every little. Every just look it up. Whatever highway, whatever wherever you live, yeah, you can you can look at highways that were built over black communities. Just imagine what black communities would look like today if those wow if if they weren't built over. Like we're we're thinking of the nineteen fifties and sixties and forties. Imagine imagine what those areas would look like now. That's insane. We talk about Chinatowns and stuff That's like that. Insane. Imagine what they would look like today. Another thing I want to point on. Another thing I wanted to point on was the the GI Bill. The, the GI, GI Bill. The, the GI Bill was enacted in nineteen forty four and the goal of it was to have was to give returning veterans an economic base to come back to after the war. Because mm-hmm. you can't have veterans coming back to a war with nothing. Yes. Specifically white veterans. So basically the GI Bill ensured these white veterans that they would have that they'll be able to, to purchase a loan for a house mm-hmm. in the suburbs, which were being newly constructed. Yeah, but black people could not for, out there. For, for an America that was going to have a burgeoning post-war economy because it was the only country, the only major country that fought, pretty damn near the only country that actually fought in World War II. That didn't fight on their, sur- on their home surface. Exactly. Wow. So that's the only reason America is like the top force right now. Exactly, exactly, wow. and, and then that's why it's and that's why it's crumbling, because other countries because we've countries, been relying on we've been relying on a victory from two generations ago, Damn, bro. Three. <laughs> oh my god! Dude, it's, it's the World War Two ended. We haven't won a real we haven't won a real war since then. To be honest, if you really think about that. <laughs> Winning is a funny word, but we haven't even won the war. Now that I think about it, I mean, bro, I think that okay. So like, what I was saying is okay. So we helped, but we didn't win it. Yeah, bro. I mean, it's, but it's, all this shit is a scam, bro. But <laughs> but it, it's all it's all propaganda and lies. But basically, I, after World War Two, yeah, this, this is really when 
the racial wealth gap really exponentially increased. Yeah. This is when the middle class was actually created, for real. Yeah. The white middle class. Okay. Because this this is when they got their homes. Yeah. A lot of these white people who own homes now, they got them Back then, after World generation. War II. Yeah. Because all those suburbs were getting built. Yeah. They were building towns and towns like Levitt Towns, all that. Danville. All those, yeah, all those... All those suburbs? Well, actually, I don't know if Danville's... Well, I, I don't know, but y- y- y'all yeah, get, get the point. The point yeah. I get the point. <laughs> like, those suburbs were being built out into... Those, those suburbs were being built. That's why they, that's why they were constructing highways. Yeah. So black people, so white people could be able to drive from the city where they worked mm-hmm. out to their house. Facts. But they had like to... Marin. Exactly. But they had to build around the black communities. They had to build around those blighted communities that they hated so much. Um, So, you factor all that in. I forgot to say, with the GI Bill, black veterans weren't allowed to get those benefits. (laughs) Of course not. Every time a black man... When was the GI Bill done again? So we can can, can tell you guys exactly why. It was enacted in 1944. Yeah. But obviously, veterans weren't coming home until 1945 after the war was officially over. Um, it's still forty five. So 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 that 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 ten fifteen year gap, that that ten fifteen year span, you have black 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 veterans who are being denied homes, even though they fought just as hard to beat Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan as as, as any of those white people did, and you factor all that in, we wasn't able to get homes, we weren't allowed to get homes in the suburbs. They. Those housing covenants, they was like y'all, y- y'all cannot buy, yeah, y'all cannot buy here. Hell no, nah. we don't want, we don't want no Negroes here. So some of what happened with that was, now black people could only go to a certain part of the city, yeah. which is redlining. Yeah, a realtor can exploit you if you can, if you only have one option. Yeah, if you, if you only have this house and that's it. If you only have one option to go to, he can make you pay for whatever how much you want. Yeah. So now you have these black people. Who are overpriced? In, who are who are overpriced? Black tax. Who, bro? Do you have these black people who are who are overpriced for properties that aren't as good? And a lot of the time, they're being stuffed into housing projects. So you you you, you factor stuffed. You, you you factor all this stuff in, and people wonder why hoods exist today. They didn't just come out of nowhere. Project housing, bro. It's wow. it's it's a cycle that that was created by the United States government. Wow. Wow. And 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 that's just and that's just this little, fifteen year period. That's that's why Martin Luther King was so uh, adamant on passing the Housing Act of nineteen sixty eight, which was. Um, it really doesn't even matter. It really didn't. It didn't matter, bro. It was damn near too late by that point, bro. Everybody already had their property. And all the white people already had their property. All, all, all the wealth was already. But in what place. was it though? It, 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 it made, it made housing fair. It, it, it made, it made all those restrictive covenants go away. And allegedly. Um, what was it again? The Housing Act. Do you think that that would have been a in the amendment? Um, it, it was, it was, it was like another civil rights act. So. Do you think that would have helped with MLK? And, and, and the only reason why it was pa- it, it was passed a week after MLK died. Oh, exactly a week after. April 11th, 1968. Wow. King was assassinated April 4th. Yeah, six days. Six days. And, and, and oh, the, seven, seven, seven. Eleven. 
So, and, and the big reason why I was passed, I'm looking it up right now, was because of the King assassination riots that happened yeah. in 300 cities across America after Martin Luther King was dying, yeah. after, after he was killed. Yeah. And something else, bro, you, you, you can literally go on and on about the whole reparations thing. But I think that when you, and you, you, you don't even, I didn't even get into the whole slavery thing about how black people literally built all the infrastructure for this country to get it going where to where it was. Yeah. We built all the railroads mm-hmm. that allowed this country to industrialize. Well. In event, huh? We built some of the roads. You, oh, you, 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 are, you, are you alluding to, to the Asians who built the Western? Yeah. They built the Western Pacific yeah. Railroad. Well, they, they, they built the, in, the, the, the national, you know what I'm saying, the intercontinental. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. They built the Western yeah, extension. Yeah, but we, we built but, the industrial. But, but no, 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 no. They built the Western one. Yeah. But there would not have been a Western railroad to build if there, oh, if so they, if there were no other railroads in the United States. Oh, I'm confused now. The Western Pacific Railroad was a connection to the rest of the railroads. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. Right. But what I'm saying, oh, you're saying that they built the first, like, like the ones over there. Oh, yeah. Man. But that came before. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. I thought that they were just all built at the same. Time. Nah, 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 nah. I guess I never really did the research to really think about when trains were invented exactly. or when railroads were. Most people don't don't yeah. know that. We're we're always taught that. The like the Asians wow. built the railroads, they built that one, yeah. and hell yeah, they was oppressed like a mug. Chinese yeah. Immigration Act of eighteen eighty two, they said Asians couldn't come here no more. Yeah, but they was able to come back. They was able to come back after black people got the Civil Rights Act of nineteen sixty four passed, yeah. which Leslie, which eventually led to the Immigration Act of nineteen sixty five to be passed, which allowed immigrant groups, non white immigrant groups, yeah. to come to America. Yeah. Which is why you got the influence of African immigrants, Caribbean immigrants, man. I want to talk Asian about immigrants. Hey, man, we gotta talk about them. Who, who, who? I, I don't, bro. I'm not, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna talk about how much they hate on us. Yeah. But, but I, I say all that to say, you know, we we built the railroads, we built the we built the buildings, all all the monuments that you see, that you see all these white people flocking to. In the summer, black people built that Washington Monument, Fact. White House, Fact. Capitol Building, all, all of them. We we was building all the roads for free. Can you imagine how rich somebody could? How 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 rich could I could I become if I have to pay nobody? All I have to do is give you the bare minimum to survive. I don't gotta pay you for. Some, hours and hours some, of labor. Here's some pigs intestines. <laughs> oh God! Here's some hush puppies. <laughs> you know, all, all, all that, all that food, all, all that, all that BS, bro. I think that. Here's some old grease. Here's some cornmeal. Yes, bro. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that the whole argument for reparations, going back to Thomas Sowell, mm-hmm. he, he, this white conservatives love. To use his point now because it's so popular because of him. He he. This is his. This is his. This is his thing. This is his talking point. This, his talking point is that every every ethnic group in the history of the world has been enslaved. 
What? White people have not? They have. Oh, by the Moors? Just just every in, in the past. The well, when the the word Slav Oh Slav 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 The root word of slave comes yeah. from white people. White people were Slavs. Who 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 were they slaves to? I don't know. I mean, it's a whole bunch of different groups who have been enslaved. So, but, this, but, 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 like, I mean, like, you have to ask ourselves, like, who as a race, who have they been enslaved to? Well, it, I mean, it's, not, it's not about, it's not about ethnic group. It's about race. It, but, I mean. Because when you look at, because when, when you look at our types of slavery, it it's not about a certain ethnic group. They took multiple ethnic groups off the coast of Africa. Exactly. And there were and, and there were multiple white ethnic groups who were exactly. enslaved. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? So so but but it's not about them being enslaved as a ethnic group. They we were enslaved as in total race because of how we looked. Exactly. Opposed to them being enslaved based off of a war off off of some some war that they lost uh, for power or um Let's say uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what, what it was. What, what, I don't know what, what kind of reasons they they got. You're war, right, though. It's, it's not You're based right. off of war, exactly. But it's based off of uh, class or a uh, coup of uh, sorts. Just, just, just this war and and no other groups. There haven't been any other groups that that have been in chattel slavery. Yes, like how black people were. Yes, like we were literally slaves, born slaves. Yes. Slave your whole life again. Yes. You make children their slaves. That that hasn't been done before, and that's why that's why they call it like cows chattels, chattel slavery. You oh know, my God. like, like bro, it's 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 evil. And, and Thomas Sowell and Black Rednecks and White Liberals, he definitely makes the argument. You know, yeah. like this form of slavery was was extremely inhumane because because in order to do something so evil, you have to rationalize it and. When that rationalization yeah. is dehumanization, yeah. you have to dehumanize these people in order to do all the brutal stuff. And going back to the whole ethnic group has been enslaved thing, yes, every ethnic group has been enslaved. Yes. But the the phrase ethnic group, which implies which which is which can be which a lot of, which a lot of people look at as racial, no, it's not it's, 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 it's not, not it's not the same. The concept of race is is relatively new. It's only about 500 years old. Hey, speak on it. Speak on it's, it. It's only about 500 years old. But before the the Portuguese came to Africa in order to go around, in order to find trade routes to India. They weren't even looking for us. They weren't looking for Africans. They, they, why, it's, it's a little known fact that Europeans in this time period, didn't they? They knew they knew less about the outside world than the Romans and Greeks did. The Romans they learned and, about the outside world and decided to slave and, and decided to enslave people in less than a hundred years. But and, and the reason why they wanted to enslave people is because in less than a hundred years, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't rooted in race. It was rooted in religion. Exactly, they're supreme. They're perceived. Superiority because they were Christians, you know. Oftentimes we see Christians today who will say things like, "If you're not a Christian, you are you you are evil, you are immoral, you're you, you're going to hell." So now imagine imagine this philosophy times a hundred. Yeah. 
You know, not only are you going to hell, but we're going to treat you as shit on this planet. We're going to civilize you until you are not un, until you are unheathenized. Oh my god! And if you aren't, you're a demon, and we're going to kill you. So lynch you. So you, the entire family. So you plus that plus the capitalist or the rising capitalist forces that were emerging in Europe in this time period who saw a big money opportunity, they was like, all right, we're going to exploit them. But I, I say all this to say is that the whole ethnic group has been enslaved thing is so is so intellectually dishonest because it doesn't it doesn't matter that 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 every ethnic group has been enslaved because we're not talking about other ethnic groups. We're talking about the treatment of black uh, Americans black people. Wow, in, the, in the United States. And the United States has given reparations to other groups yeah. of people. So yeah. they have already set a precedent yeah. for giving reparations. Yeah. Japanese, Jews, Native Americans, they have, they have given reparations. Right. They gave reparations reparations like I said earlier, to Jews who they didn't even who they did nothing to. Yeah, they didn't have to do them. And they didn't have to at be, all. In be, fact, Germany should have shouldn't have should have, but they were getting they were actually giving payments to the United States. Yeah, and, and Germany it, it, was yeah it deflated their currency, but that was a whole different. That's a whole long story. Germany was fucked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after World War Two, they was yeah they were fucked. <laughs> yeah, they was fucked up. But like, but like they were using pay, they were using dollars as like wallpaper. No, no, you're. <laughs> You're thinking of the 1920s, post post World War One Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that 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 wallpaper stuff is what led to Hitler. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, that because 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 their Germany was lost and was so were, impoverished yeah. and they had lost. And Germany is a very prideful country. They've always been a very prideful, smart group of yeah. people. Okay, like Thomas Sowell talks about in Germans in History yeah. chapter of Black Rennick. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to denounce Thomas Sowell completely. Yeah, he's a very smart man. He 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 has forged a lot very, of my ideology. I'm not very wrong. very smart man. But you'll never. Thomas Sowell is a, is an economist by trade. But you'll never hear white people going to him for problems yeah. about the economy. Yeah. You only go to they only go to him for problems about history and race yeah. when that is not his specialty. Yeah. Why is that? And and that's and and that and that's and that's my biggest problem with Thomas Sowell. As smart as he is, yeah. he was able to make those arguments for what it seems like the name the name of money. Yeah, because I, I feel like you gotta look at the full picture. Because he's saying things like, if every, if if we were to give reparations for everybody who's been enslaved, yeah. we would have to give back reparations to half of the world. Yeah, when that is intellectually dishonest. It is. And I know for a fact he knows that because he is a brilliant man. Yes, that is intellectually. And and I don't understand why he would do that because he has forged such. Well, I won't say that his 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 information can forge such a um, ideal black utopia. And 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 to be honest, bro, to be honest, of a big part of my pro black of my pro black ideology came from the the last section, or the second to last section of Black Red X and White Liberals, and that was. Black education myths and tragedies. Mm. In that part, yeah. in that part of the yes. book, he talked about how there were good black schools. Yes, in DC. In in DC, 
St. Augustine in, in New Orleans, Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that that wasn't all the black schools, but it just painted it just painted a different picture than what I and I'm sure you yeah. were used to seeing of yeah. with how black schools were portrayed. We're always used to seeing black schools as dumps and mediocre and bad when there were good ones. And it's and it show and um, I've said this a lot, but it just shows that we were always kind of told that white people that the reason why black schools were bad was because there were no white kids yeah. in them. That, that, that's that's kind of that's that's not what they tell that's us. That's bullshit. That's, I'm tell you why. That, that's not what they tell us, but that, that's kind of what they indirectly tell I'm, us. I'm, 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 I'm gonna tell you that's some bullshit. Why? Because I'm gonna tell you why that's some bullshit. When me and you were growing up, we went to an all black school. In Piedmont, which is a white neighborhood, ironically, yep. um, no fights were allowed. I think we saw five fights while we were there our entire... How many years? I was there three. I was there for ten. No, no, no. I was there for more than three. I was there mm-hmm. for four. But technically, I was also there since first grade, so that's a long time, too. Uh, but Summer school. Oh, uh, yeah. That's where me and Michael met. <laughs> Ice kid, <laughs> yeah, um, ice, ice, ice boy. <laughs> Have we talked about that? Did we talk about we that? We're not gonna talk about. We're not, we're not talking about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna bring it up. I was just wondering, curious if we had talked about it before. I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's a good question, though. Mm. That's a good question. I wonder yeah. if we are. We're not talking about it now. Um, <laughs> uh, like, bro. No, 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 no. But. Back then, what were we talking about though? Uh, we were talking about black black education. Yeah. So back then, I will say that we experienced honestly the most ideal childhood that we could have got at, at a school. Looking back on it, 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 it was, uh, the the most ideal black experience man, we could have got. It, it, well, it, I mean, now I won't say most ideal because we could have learned a lot more black history that was like in tune with. True black culture. But you want to know the crazy thing? Hmm. Mr. Peabody was teaching. He was showing Shout us out that. to Mr. Peabody, like he was boy. Show, he was showing us that gumbo. Mr. Peabody, like, boy. Like, bro, the gumbo series? Like, like, I didn't appreciate that as much. I, yeah, I we mean, should obviously, No, I No, me as a young. person, me as a person, I think that I should have appreciated it a lot more because I did get into jazz and I did get into music. So I really wish I really tuned in to what Mr. Peabody had to was offering us. You know, but that on a black history's perspective, I'm like, you get that. Bro, I, I don't know if Pizza Peabody even remembers me for real, but... Yeah, he does. He remembers all of us. Keep going. For real? Yeah. Stop lying. That's what I got. Stop lying, yeah. bro. Stop, stop. Why are you lying, bro? Like, don't remember us. I'm serious. How you know that? I saw him right before um, Madison graduated. I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah, me and Josiah, we got a podcast. And he was like, for real? For real? What'd he say? I know he don't remember me, bro. He was like, he was like, I wanted to check it out. I I always felt like Mr. Peabody didn't really like know me for real. I always, cause I used to be gassing his head up whenever I used to. <laughs> I'm like, Mr. P, Mr. Peabody, my dog. Like, what's good with my dog? Like, I used to be, I used to be hyping him every time I used to, yeah. I used to gas his head. Um, <laughs> but like, he was, bro, he was super chill though. Like, he had a, his class was, was, was incredibly easy. 
Uh, I used to love when he he taught us in music, by the way. Yeah, he taught music. us in music. Um, honestly, he taught us in most black culture too. But that I, honestly, if you think bro, music at a black school, music was really our culture tension, class. Our yeah, our tension is there, so that's where we get most of our bro, knowledge in our culture. I don't I don't think you were I don't think you were at Saint Leo's yet, but I think we we learned the black national anthem in Miss Reed's class. I learned the black national anthem in Miss Reed's class. Okay, well, is it, what's the music? What's the music? I don't remember. It was in fifth grade for me. But I bro, they had us learning the Black National Anthem yeah. at St. Leo's. Like, they bro, that is so cool. Like, bro, I I really feel like after having just graduated from an HBCU, I think that that St. Louis experience was it, it was like it was like an element it was like an elementary HBCU experience. Cause it's kind of crazy when you think about it. A lot of students from our class went to HBCUs eventually after. Yeah. Like, like, like me. Nia, Terrilyn, Aaliyah, Olivia, that's not Mia. Just to, and that's not just to say all the people who, this period at St. Leo's went to HBCUs. You feel me? There's a lot of people who went to HBCUs like, that we don't, you know what I'm saying, we don't talk about. Exactly. Yeah, and even that they don't talk about. I mean, Josh Sanders, yeah. Akil was at Howard, you know, like, yeah. like, uh, Josh Henry. Josh Henry, bro. Mm-hmm. We, bro, St. Leo's instilled, instilled something different in us, bro. For real, and, and it's still a different type of black pride, a, di- a different type of blackness, a di- different way of understanding blackness, you know. And I just want to say all that to say, going back to the whole Thomas Soul point, I-, I I love Thomas Soul. I I will always have respect. I I will never go as far to call him a coon, because because of everything that he's taught me. But he teeters that line real fucking close. <laughs> He, he teeters that line real close. Real close. Real, real real close. And if somebody called him that, I can't say I'd be mad. Yeah. But. For that instant. But I have I have a lot of respect for Thomas yeah. Sowell. Like, an, an, un, an unbelievable amount of respect for his opening my mind to different perspectives Best. that I would not have seen otherwise. But I, I do... Want to transition from that topic yeah. though? And I would like to get into more what find what um, what uh, what substantial books you've read as of lately, or since we've recorded last. Since since we were last recording one together. Yeah. Jeez. They all kind of get jumbled up together. <laughs> Are you serious? Ah, bro, I remember each one. Even I, that's why I like to read them one by one. Well, I, I I do read them one by one, but it's it's been a lot, you know. Yeah, saying? I understand what you're saying, but that also kind of clutters it in your mind too, though. Yeah, think about it. It, it yeah, there's it, it, definitely a lot of clutter. Yeah. Um, for me, I but, just I like to read one at a time, and then I space it out so I have my thoughts about it after, and I have my reflections, and then. I can go into it with the idea, so it's implemented in my ideology, and then I can move on to the next book, so I can timestamp when I my ideology changes. You feel me? I mean, I, I mean, I, I definitely do that. Like, I, I write tons of notes in my books, but for me, I just kind of feel like well, I do it by memory. It, it's it's yeah. I mean, because it's instilled in me now. That's that, bro. Hey, that's that's true, bro. That's true. I I do like to write just because like it's a good way to yeah. But I I do yeah to, I respect to, that to as like well. to like document yeah I do that as well where where you are you can, you can actually visibly see where you were at a certain point yeah. and what and, and what you were learning and how you felt about yeah. how you were learning it yeah. but 
Um, I say since the last time we recorded an episode together, like just me and you, mm-hmm. I read the, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Ah, oh, damn it! Which is damn it! You took my fucking book. Which is which is crazy that. Actually, no. I want you to take that. I got my book. Nah, I'm not. I'm no, that, no, you get one book. You get one book. I'm, I'm about to list a few, bro, to be honest with Do you. Do not I, list. No, no. You, you have to. No, di, no. Most substantial. Just the most substantial. Most substantial. Bruh. Not a few. The most substantial and then give me a takeaway. And we're going to get deep into it and I'm going to give you in mind. Dude, bro. You, you can't be doing that, bro. Yes, bro. Because you can't give too much sauce. You got a lot of episodes to do. You feel me? There, there, there are two books that really come to mind when you ask me this question. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm forgetting some, bro. Like, you, can, you, can you can't be doing this, bro. Yes, bro, yes. You, you know how much I be, read. Be like, there's a lot. Be decisive. Um, I, I, I say there are, there, are, there are two books. Okay. I'm not going to say the autobiography of Malcolm X. What? Okay. I'm not. Okay. I'll say. Bro, I'll take my fucking book. You know what book I'm thinking of? You're not gonna. Okay. I'm not, I'm not gonna take it. I'll say two. Where do we go from here? Chaos or Community by Martin Luther King. Okay. Like I, 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 I know of that book. I like it. You, you should, you should read it, bro. Yeah, I need to get it. I, I think it'll give you a great understanding of Martin Luther King because yeah. we, we were having this conversation. Yeah, we had a conversation like in the midst of this uh, hiatus from uh, from growth mindsets. About about Martin Luther King, and I did, and I expressed some uh, quite critical like opinions. I really feel like you need to read that, bro, because I think it gives you it gives you the la- it gives you the best version of the last version of King. Yeah, that was the last book he wrote, so that was Radical yeah. King. Yeah, okay, that was so that. that was yeah. that was that was Radical see King. See that. When if if you were to take that book, like my version of that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you would see how much I learned. I there I've I've wrote so much. I don't think I've ever written more in a book. We can publish that if you guys want. Please let us know. <laughs> yeah, when I die. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I say that book really resonated with me a lot because I I like to read books that I kind of like talk about. Um, I like I like to read books that talk about where we are and where we're going. Yeah. And, and, and that's literally what MLK's book was. Where do we go from here? And I feel like the issues that he discusses are so pertinent to today because that book released in 1967 and we are still trying to go where, we're going, where, where he saw us going. Where he saw us going. You know? Yeah. Because the issues that he faced at this time in 1967 were he, he had civil rights had been gained civil rights had been accomplished but now there was a bigger struggle mm-hmm. the real struggle and that's the struggle against economic inequality in America and that's that's honestly why they killed him because because of that last book once you start not not because of that book but because of the beliefs that in that book that made that book possible you know Actually, I'm 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 about to play a video for y'all. 
I'm I'm about to play a video for uh it's 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 a short video. Okay. Just just to give y'all a, an understanding. I I love this video so much. At the very same time that America refused to give. Hmm. I, I might get a call in a second. All right. I just want to let you know that we're gonna have to we'll have a place for Harvey. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. By our own bootstraps? Wait, wait, wait. And this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. We are coming to get yeah. our check. That's why they killed that nigga. Because he was talking about something bigger. He was talking about that green. He was talking, he was about, talking about that good skin. He wasn't talking about that kumbaya. He was talking about that. He was talking about that. that money. Talking about that green skin, you feel me? Exactly. He wasn't talking about that, that, that. He wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about, you know, all skin colors. He was talking about that. Like. Real color. Like, like, bro. He was talking that about. real color. He was talking about that real stuff. So. The only color that matters, you feel me? Yeah. Yeah, so. That book had a profound interest on me. And one more. I'll say. The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Green. Robert Green. I read Forty Eight Laws of Power. You know, interesting, interest, interestingly enough. I gotta read it again. Sure. Uh, you should read the Laws of Human Nature. To be honest, I think that book is better. What? Um, no. You had. You don't even know what it's about. <laughs> Are you serious? No, I'm saying like no, as in like no way. Oh yeah, bro. It, it is better, bro. Wow. Um, it, it's long though. It's about five hundred ninety pages or something like is, that. Is that as long as the? I don't know. I don't know, but I got oh, to. Whatever. I didn't, even, I didn't even finish it, bro. I got to, like, page... I'm on page, like, 480 right oh now. Oh, my God. And I'm not gonna lie, I have not... I, I read the book fast, bro. I read I read this book. I, I got through it really fast. I, so... I'm not gonna ask what it is, bro. Never mind. Um, I'll say that a reason why that book has such a profound impact on me was because Robert Greene beautifully outlines so many social situations... And how, and how humans of the past have overcame them, and how oh, they, how he writes them? and how and how they solve problems. Like how how he writes it is like yeah. he starts so he off writes it the same way as he wrote um, Forty Eight Laws. Yeah, he starts off That's with beautiful. he starts off with history, and then he and then he gives the keys to the human nature. Yeah. I just think if you want to understand human psychology, I think that's a great book to understand, and I feel like that book made my skills to reason. And have empathy so much greater, because I I realize that like oftentimes, bro, when people test you, bro, and people and people people lash out and get mad at you, bro, 
a lot of time, bro, it's just due to their own insecurity. It's, it's never really about you. It's about something that... Well, let yeah. me ask you this question. Yeah, what's up? Is it about insecurity? Or do you think it's about... Some people have more of a... Larger boundary. I'm, I'm talking about... And it's due to... Um, experiences that validate their insecurities. And so, at the moment, they just need more space within their boundary. Well, I mean, if you're saying that, then it still goes back to insecurity. That is true, but I'm saying, like... Because when you say insecurity, it kind of, like, doesn't... It kind of it kind of invalidates what the person is going through. You feel it, me? That 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 is that's having their boundary. In. It okay. I, I think how I said it like how how like that. I didn't mean it like that. Just from the standpoint of like usually when people have a problem with you, they usually going through something themselves. Yes. You know. Um. And obviously that's a blanket statement, and there are there are different types of situations. But I just think that book gave me a greater understanding of what those people are going through, of of what people are going through, yeah. and how people think when they do certain things, yeah. and it, it really just it crystallized a lot of aspects of human nature for me. Yeah. And it's like, bro, like there are a lot of different books that I've read in the past year. So, yeah. like I said, it's it's hard to yeah. pick those two. I I think so. I think of books like The Color of Law, The Alchemist. Nigga, no, why are you talking? Like, shut up, like, shut up, nigga, shut up. My apologies. Yeah, bro, um, bro, I'm, bro, you can say your fucking book. Like, nigga, that is my book. Nigga. Yeah, but you can explain it, nigga, bro. I've read so many other books. I've read so many other books. There's so much damn books out here, bro. Like, you, you, that's you, you, my book. You, bro, there, are, there book. are millions that's of books. That's me and Jamal's book. Hey, shout out to shout out to LJ and Gavin, number one cappers in the world. I love to gaslight this nigga. Anyway, um, I think that The Alchemist is the greatest book that I've read so far in my life in my twenty-two years. I'm gonna say why. Because it takes you through a journey of self-discovery as well. Because it introduces you to this thing that you never knew you actually had. Your purpose. But it gives it a new light. When I was reading this book, I had ironically gotten the... Request, or I should say, the summoning to do so by a friend slash uh, mentor of mine named Solomon. Uh, he is it recording? Mm-hmm. We're all good. I don't know if the battery is charging. It says battery. Is it, is, it, is it dead? Or is it about to die? Uh, is it close? Nine percent. Nigga, why didn't you say anything? 
It says battery's not charging. I, I'm just gonna check again and see if it goes down. It says it's charging, but it, it says it's charging, but it says battery isn't charging. Yeah, but how long has it been at nine percent? I don't know. It's fine. We'll figure it out. Um. Solomon told me to read The Alchemist because he knew what I was going through in life. Cause I, cause we had been playing chess for, I don't know, about four or five months at that point. Um, and chess, and chess, if I must say, I picked up since the last time we had the podcast, and it has really expanded my mind to the realities and how um, life really is. Should is and should be calculated through precise and honestly sometimes um, dangerous risks or da- dangerously uh, it should be it should be carried out through risk and um, very precise um, decision making. And I think that uh, I said I picked up chess. Where did I, where did I get that from? Since the last time I had the podcast, you talking about the book? Oh yeah, I was okay. Thank you. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, since since the last time I since I last time I. Uh, I had played chess. No, scratch. Still scratch. Um, I have been playing chess with Solomon um for about four or five months now. Uh, and I think that it really expanded and helped us. Uh, um, not necessarily connect on like a psychological level, but also on like on a spiritual level. Because he understood what I was going through, and he could see exactly what, like, the universe was calling for me to, to read, or or in order, or what wisdom I needed. Because every time I would come to him, he would tell me something that would be like ideology shifting, I should say. And so, um, or we'd have a conversation based in something that would uh, change my ideology, ideology. Um, I think that when he told me to read this, it was a perfect space for me to do so. We were on a cruise ship. It was an older scientific, like, doctor's cruise ship. I don't know how to explain it. But the dude said that there was over, like, a billion, five billion dollars worth of people on that ship, if that makes sense. And that's a lot of. That's a lot of money. Anyway, um, especially for scientists, if you think about it. Um, I think that uh, the environment was, was special as well because it was isolated. It was like only like 10 people per like two acres. So like it was just us. I was just walking around this tent. And I was like kind of moving, sort of like in the hyperbolic time chamber. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of that was the kind of vibe I kind of got from that um, experience. Uh, and some people would come and visit, like walk past, you know, going on a, 
shit. But um, I read this book in an entire shift. And How it's was the shift? about eight hours. I think the book is about a seven hour, six hour read. So um, I read that whole thing. And it really just, it just applied to me at every step of his journey. It felt like I, I, it was time for me to live that. You feel me? Like, as soon as, as soon as he was like, I, I need to, I really want to explore the world. Um. That book really took me on a journey that I never really could have asked for from anything else, to be honest. Because when it took me on this journey, I also saw sides of myself that I didn't even know was still there. Because what it does is it takes you back to your childhood and makes you really think about the things that you truly desire and how they have ramified into the things and the actions that you care about now. And if those actions are true to who you really are, or are they just motivations based off of today's um, worries? Hmm. What do you mean? So for instance, like you truly care about history. That is a life legend for you. You've been doing that since a child. You asked for that book. That's something that you've always had an interest in. Your spark has always been history. I just want to understand the world. Yeah. Facts. However I can understand the world, yeah. then I think history is one of the biggest ways that you can do that. Where did you get your major in? My major? Mm-hmm. Uh, political science. Political science. African Politics is the white man's bullshit. Let's just be honest. Let's, let's, let's be honest. I mean... I uh, obvi- but, but not... At Howard University, I would say, it's, it's a lot different than your average PWI. I mean, politics is, is pretty much the, the game of power. And in this society, white people hold the power. So... And the surface, it, I should say. The surface... The surface of politics is bullshit. I mean, it's... It, like yeah yeah the surface, I mean throw back to politics is drama for all the for all the long time listeners. <laughs> but like, I would say that um, politics is drama. At, at the surface, it is especially with like how the media covers it. Um, and like and I don't know, bro. Inherently, it kind of is BS, bro. Just cause like at the end of the day, bro, all this stuff really goes down to the money, bro. It all it all goes down to the bread, like. All these politicians who, who who you think care about you, bro, they're all they're they're all paid off. They're all 
they're all in bed with, with these corporations fulfilling the agendas of whoever is giving them the top dollar. Um, really all goes down to the money. This, yeah. is, this ain't no democracy, bro. This is a this is an oligarchy, man. Yeah, I mean, it's top 1% for a reason. This shit ruled by the bread. But political science is is, is a very broad major. You you, you can do a lot with it. And I minored in African-American studies and communications. Um, You know, a little bit of the history of African-American studies part for sure. But yeah, I mean, learning about history has always been my life legend. You know, it's kind of interesting, man, when you talk about the whole thing of growth. Um, History used to... I used to study. Well, when you finish the part about the alchemist, I, I was just gonna yeah, say that yeah, yeah. I used to just study, study the white man's history. But yeah. I, as I grew and came of age, that's I, facts. That's facts. That's facts. That's facts. I started to, you know, you go, on, go I, more into that a little bit. I was. It's funny. It's funny today. I was just thinking today. I was, was making clips for the podcast, and I was making something that pertained to Black Wall Street. Wow. And I remember like Derek. Shout, shout out Derek. Um, Derek Towns? Yeah. Like, I think in middle school or something like that. He was like, Josiah, you say you know all this history, but have you heard of Black Wall Street before? And I was like, in, in my head, I'm like, I'm, I'm computing. I'm like, huh, Wall Street. So the first thing I think of is Wall Street crash in 1929. And, and I'm like, what? And I was like, I don't know. What, I didn't know what it was. You guys don't even understand, like, how crazy this is. Like, I want you to perceive this back how you used to perceive Derek back in that time. You didn't think Derek was a very smart individual back then and there. That's not true. I always respected him. I, I, I mean, I would always respected him for no, who no, he was no. as an individual. Because I, 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 I respected how he how he believed in Christ and how intelligent he was within that. I, I had more sphere. I had more respect. But I didn't think I didn't think of him as in like a as a history person. I, 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 I had more respect for Derek, and I had more respect for Dale's, for Derek's intelligence than a lot more people in our class. I, I spent a lot more time with him because hmm. I used to I used to be in um, in extended care with him. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's because our parents used to both pick us up late. Yeah. My, my mom used to take him home a lot of the time. I that. And we played basketball together, so I definitely had a lot of respect for, for Derek and Tyler. I mean, don't, but, don't get me but, wrong. But, don't, but, don't, don't get me wrong. I do. I do. You know, I, I respect it. I always respect his intelligence because it takes a lot for a nigga to be funny. For real. It does. It does. It, it takes a lot of, like, intelligence. It takes, it takes, it takes, it takes an, an, an unconscious level of intelligence, and that's, that's ingenious. It does. Social cues, you know, yeah. but like I said, I would say like his his mom had told him about it. Oh, reflections. And his mom, his, I think his mom had told him about it, and then Derek came to me, and I didn't really know about it. And and this this didn't spark like some type of newfound interest in Black history for me. Um, that took a few more years, uh, a lot more years to to cultivate. But it's just an interesting moment, just thinking about how far I've come, and I think um learning about. A lot of the white history gave me gave me a good base to understand like the problems that we're dealing with and being being able to look at them from all angles, just having a having that that curiosity. But um, continue about what the alchemist had taught you. The alchemist taught me that life is such a peculiar game, but not only is it a game, it is something that is serious. Because you can also, if you take it serious, 
get jewels and treasures and learn how to make them without even uh, having to buy them or selling something in order to obtain it. It's a powerful book, bro. It shows just the power of them. It shows the power of dedication and it shows the power of uh, curiosity, I should say. The, the, the less to learn more about who you are, about what goes on around you, and what has happened in the past. Yeah. I, I think I, it also, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I think a, a big thing it points out is just the, the importance of staying on your journey. Yeah, facts. You, you don't know when your final destination is, but listen, <laughs> and, and enjoy enjoy the journey that you're on. Because you don't want to spoil the book, but he didn't know when he was going to find out what he was trying to find. Facts. But he just, his journey led him to completely different places, and he found out he enjoyed the places that he was in. Yeah. Once he was able to just let go and stop thinking about the final destinations, always thinking about we have, we have a problem as humans. We always thinking about where we trying to go, but we, but we don't focus on where we are, on where we are in the present. You know, I think that was that was one of the biggest lessons I learned from that book. Yeah, but that, that the the, uh, the oil, the oil spoon. Mm-hmm. That was a really big lesson. That was a really big lesson. Repeat that one. For the audience. So, there was a boy who was asking for what the point of life was. And his grandfather told him to go see a rich man, the wisest man in the world, quote unquote, or the wisest man in the village, um, to his house. His house was a mansion. He went up, asked him. It was bustling. The room was bustling. And... He had to wait a turn. So he waited a long time um, and thought about how he wanted to ask this question and what question he wanted to ask or how he wanted to ask. So he asked him, what was the point of life? He just said straight up. And the guy said, take this spoon with this oil and do not spill the oil and walk around my house. So he took it and took a lap, focusing strictly on the oil. And when he got back to the king or the wise man, he said, did you notice the gorgeous tapestries, the marble hardwood floors? This is a, uh, this is a synopsis and a, a pair, what is it called? Parasummary? Paraphrase? Yes, yeah, a paraphrase. This is a paraphrase and a um, synopsis of of this story, uh, of this fable, I should say. Um, and he asked him if he noticed the beautiful pictures and the beautiful artworks. And he said no. So he said this time, make sure that you notice all of it. So he goes around the house and he notices everything. He tells them in detail, in great lavish detail, about what he had noticed around the house. 
And he said, did you keep this oil in the spoon? He looked down at the spoon, and there's no oil in it. What he was trying to say was, as you go through life, focus on your journey, but do not let your journey make you not focus on what's going on around you. Because that is where the beauty of life is. Understanding and experiencing your fuel, your full presence. And your full present. The beauty of life is in the unknown. Yes. That's why they call presence. That's why you have presence in your present. Full, the full presence. Because ain't present. nothing better than my present. Ain't nothing better. What's going on right now? When you're hearing this podcast, I'm so serious. This right here is time traveling. When you listen to this podcast, when you listen to this podcast on this day that you're listening to it right now, this is a moment that is real. This is a moment that has been marked in history and time. You will always remember this time, no matter how far back in, uh, or this time will always be real. No matter how far back um, in time you want to go in from the future, nor how much time you want to go forward from the past. Oh, that's, that's so true. That's what I feel like sometimes our problem though is like, we be so focused on the future, bro. That's facts. We spend so much time stressing and fixated on the future that we, that we forget to enjoy where we are now. You know? That's facts. That's facts. Um, how do you feel like you've... Um, how do you feel like you've grown in the past year? Oh, shit, that's a great question. Um, I feel like the things that I've read... And the amount of time I've practiced on, like, really just making beats, like, um, I really haven't told you guys how, like, really, I think that's a real reason why I haven't real, really, uh, been podcasting by myself on doing, like, the solo ones and, uh, and just having guests on by myself, um, because I just really have been consistent with beat, with beat making. I've been doing it every day for the last, uh. I don't know, seven months, maybe even more. It might be like 10. It might be 10 months. Um, but uh, I've just been every day grinding, you know, um, trying to trying to make something of myself. Um, but I've grown a lot. My the, the style I've done, my understanding of how to make beats, um, the whole sa- the whole sampling art form. Uh, I've, I've gotten a really good understanding of it. I have more to understand um, and more to learn. Um, but I feel that I have a great understanding on how music production uh, is carried and how to do so and move within this music industry. Um, I would love to learn more, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm self-taught, so... It's, it's, it's more of a journey instead of like a commencement uh, or like apprenticeship. 
style of fighting. Man, what do you feel like, um, what do you think has been one of the biggest things, biggest thing that you learned from making beats? Like, like a big life lesson. Consistency, um, is key. Understanding that you need, that it takes time, because I'll give you guys a, uh, reflection. Um, I, I honestly have never told this on the podcast, so I'm not going to refer to which artists this is and what producers these are. I mean, what producers this is and which artists these are. Um, but I really admire them as a whole uh, group. Like, they are just, like, some dope individuals. But I wasn't ready to um, make music for them at the time that I was producing because my style um, hadn't singular singularized it wasn't it wasn't sing, I, I hadn't performed singularity yet with with my whole style um so i felt like oh so I, so they felt like i had some more to grow I, sh- I should say and so i i wasn't able to um make the connection then but now um where i am in music I appreciate that because now I see how much I have to grow in order to, um, not necessarily um, make music for them now, because I, I I can make music for them now, no question. Um, but how much I have to grow, or how much I can grow, because I didn't at that time think that um, my music making was uh, was a problem. But then I had experienced a stump that I couldn't make anymore. And so I had to realize, I had to, uh, I, I felt like I was doing a repetitive thing. And I started to notice the difference between my beats versus other producers' beats. Um, and so, or other better producers' beats, so what was different. Um, so I began to study more and I, I learned that uh, there's different tiers to this shit. So you have to perform and learn and cultivate and do more things to get better at it so it's all about consistency and all that and the time that you put into it man man consistency is such an important word for for anything in life man uh, Larry, Larry really I'm not gonna lie he chose very good with his brand with his uh with his personal branding because by him putting consistency in there it, it just it, it's perfect, man, because it just fits to so many different things in life. If you want success, you have to have consistency. I mean, it's, you know, I don't even know if it was like a conscious thing, bro. It's just something that, that he actually does. Yeah. It's just, it's just life. That's facts. You know, and, and it's really like a simple key to success. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's simple, but it's hard to do. Yes. It's hard to be consistent with something. You know? It's a simple thing to do, but it's hard. It's, it's hard, bro, because... There are so many distractions that we have in our life, and so many instances of self doubt that we that we always fall victim to. You know, you know, oh, I shouldn't work on this today. It's not really getting me anywhere. It's not doing anything for me. It's, you know, it's it's just it happens with everybody. And what separates the what separates those who fail and those who succeed is the ones who stay consistent with their craft. You know, it's important. It's important to. It's important to stay consistent, but also evolve. 
with, with, with what you're doing. But I also feel like if you're actually consistent with something, the evolution is natural. Because when you're consistent, you're able to see the consistent flaws in what you're doing. You know, if you're doing something every day, you're going to start to realize, okay, this isn't working. I should probably do this now. Or I've been doing this. Okay, I can I can get better with this. Now I can start doing that. But you, you can only do that if you're actually working on something every day. You can, you can only be a critic of yourself when you're actually... When you're actually being a critic of your work, if, if instead uh, of being a critic of yourself, you know. Wow, Joe, say that again. I'm sorry, I had to add that last part in for the people in the back. Honestly, you, when you said it for me, bro, you, you finished my quote, bro. Like, you, you, you just have to be. You gotta be real with yourself, bro. You, you gotta, you gotta be real. You gotta be realized. You, know, you gotta realize when something isn't working. When it, when is it time to like not? When it's not time to quit, but. When it's time to change your strategy, yeah, you know, change, change what you're doing. You can't criticize yourself if you aren't working on yourself. You see, you know, it's like I was saying this to you the other day. Like, oftentimes, that's just motion. It's not progress. It's it's, it's not progress, bro. Keep like, going. Though. Like we're trying to we're trying to make progress here, and I think that you you can work on something, but like working on something. Every three days ain't gonna get you nowhere because you're gonna keep doing the same stuff because you haven't actually been able to to critique yourself. You know, working on yeah, like over time you've you've done something maybe like three like f- seven times in the in the in in seven times in twenty one days, and you might be being consistent then. Than than more people, yeah, but or dare I say most, but not but not more than the greats who are doing it every day. Every day, bro, bro. I thought I was doing something recently. I'm not gonna lie. I thought I was doing something recently. Or I thought I had been doing something recently. What by making like three beats a day, or like I by at least making a beat a day. I had at one point, but now I've been like trying to do at least three. Um, but one of my coworkers. Um, sons, yes, I work with old niggas. <laughs> um, one of my coworkers' sons, he's uh, he's a producer, um, and he said that he's in the studio ten hours a day. I mean, obviously he does this full time. You know what I'm saying? He has the ability to do so. You know, he's making money off this shit, but. Man, how do you get there? Through consistency, but I'm not gonna lie. This is the reason why we're not on the same level. He wasn't doing it. Uh, I don't know. I, I I can't speak on it. But from what his father told me, I don't know if he was doing it consistently ten hours a day. But he was doing it from what I can see, because he had to go to school. He's probably doing it like four hours a day. You know what I'm saying? But he's been doing it since like I think he said fourteen. See, now here's the thing. I've been doing this shit since the ninth grade, but have I been doing it consistently? No. So, who's, you know what I'm saying? Who's to say? For what I could have been if I had taken it seriously back then. I've always had aspirations, actually, since seventh grade. Shout out to MFX, man. That shit is crazy. What? You know, here's MFX United. You know, I think, uh, 
I said this before on the podcast, I think. Larry June says something like this. He's like, you ain't got to work for like, you ain't got to work for like 10 hours a day on 10, 6, 7 hours a day on something. Like, but like Larry, like, I don't record all day. Yeah. But he said he gets up at 6, records, he, he does his stuff for 3 hours. Yeah. And he's done by 9. Yeah. Then he has the rest of the day, rest of the day. Yeah. But he does it every day. Yeah. That that adds up. Yeah. Compared to maybe compared to maybe compared to maybe doing it for like six hours one day, then you then you're exhausted. And then you then you resume after like three days or 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 four days. Yeah. Or maybe doing something for like eight hours one day and then you then you come back to it a few days later, you know, like that that you you will be far more productive in those three hours compared yeah, to those yeah. eight hours, which is probably doing some other shit in between because because, because you were exhausted, as opposed to giving three hours something you're straight all. You know, yeah. and and me saying this again just shows me that I that I have a lot of things that I need to work on yeah. from the standpoint of like sometimes I work too hard. Yeah, sometimes yeah, I'm facts. sometimes I grind too hard on stuff. Sometimes yeah. I need to just. Know that if I'm just consistent with something, if I had a root, if I if I have a energy routine, you feel me? Exactly. Like I, I still need to have time to to enjoy life yeah. and do exactly. what I want to do. Exactly. If I had an energy routine where it's like I put this certain amount of energy and this amount of time to this, uh, to this that I give attention to, versus what I give this versus this thing that I give attention to. Like, for instance, let's say I want to read. I'm going to give an hour, 30 minutes a day to reading. I want my hygiene to be good. I'm going to give two hours a day to hygiene because, you know, hygiene doesn't only include your your body, but it also includes your domain. Um, I'm not going to lie. That's a good I, point. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm being a hypocrite <laughs> right now. I'm not going to lie. Being a very, very big hypocrite of myself, uh, at least in this in, in this domain. But there's a reason behind the madness. Um, is that reason good? I don't know. It's my own, and that's my truth. So fuck everybody. Um, <laughs> um what was I saying though? You were talking about this ha- habits and time that you divide on each one, like you said. Two hours for hygiene. Let's say I give uh, working out because that's that's a different type of uh, wellness. I give working out like thirty minutes to two hours a day. You feel me? Depending on how much spare energy I have, because you you must first cover your bases on how to get your bills paid and uh, how to get your um, passions built. Then you work. Then, then me as a person. Then I work on uh, my survival skills. Uh, I would argue that working out can be the source of energy instead of having your energy depleted from working out. I worked out before coming to this. I coming over. Just that, I think I it, it, it could be different. People, the people are different though. You feel me? That's true. Because for me, it's, 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 it's different than for you. So yeah, all I'm saying. I, I I get tired. When I, after I finish working out. All I'm saying, bro, is sleepy. 
there's a reason why well, there's a reason why rich niggas wake up at six a.m. to work out to start their day. I can see that. I can see that, but I I would prefer to wake up and read. That's just the type of nigga I am, cause it it I'm not saying that. my mind. I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I do that. I, I wake up and read. Yeah. I, I, then I, the I, next thing I'm then possibly the next thing I can do is 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 work out. But usually I have to work if I wake up early. So what about when you're not working? When I'm not working, I'm not gonna lie. I probably have had like a long night because I had to catch up on the last on the shit that I had to do because I was working. So. I'll probably go to sleep late, wake up late, around like uh, 9, sometimes like today, 11. So. That's fair. That's fair. But like, well, yeah. That's just how my schedule is. Until that changes, hopefully it'll change soon with this uh, opportunity I have, but never know. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, bro, it's just about being consistent with it, bro. Yeah, just being consistent, and that, that's consistency is never a buzzword, bro. No, it's not. It, it is a buzzword, bro. Cause it's not a buzzword. It's like a uh, it's like a mantra for me. I'm I'm just I'm talking about it in general, but yeah, because people like to use it but don't actually live it. Um, but like, it's um it it's it's simple, but well, it it depends on what you're what you deem as consistency. Some people's definitions of consistency are different. Not not everybody. Well, some people. Well, I I I will say that the way that I say it, the only way I'm living consistently is by making beats right now, because that's just something that I love. Um, that's something I've all I've I've remained consistent with. Also, with working out as of lately, I've been doing push-ups every night. Um, fuck that, nigga. Fuck you. Um. Uh, it's not a workout. That nigga, huh? It's not a workout. Okay, what's what's a, what is a workout then? Something that exercises your body. It's. It, I mean, it's a workout, but it's not a workout. Like nigga, like like be intentional with your words, bro. Like you have to be more intentional with your words. I am being. That's, I am that, being intentional. You could have said that's not a real workout, but for you to say that's not a workout is. But you knew what I meant, though. Like what you're, what, what I, I believe what you were implying is that you can do more. Is what you were trying to say. Is that, that, that that's what you were trying to say. That is what I was trying to say. Yes, I and I I agree, but you have to consider that I have not been consistent with it. So therefore, I have to start somewhere. I started with this probably about two weeks ago as of right now, when I got back from L.A. That was two weeks ago? Yeah. L.A. was two weeks ago? Yeah. <laughs> I should say that. No, um, it was like a week and a half. It was? Because, jeez. Shout out to my boys. Man. We had a great time out there, didn't we? We did. We had a blast. Yeah, we had a blast. Fun, it was crazy. Crazy trip. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, people's consistency depends on their environment as well. So I'm not just talking about for myself. I know other people who are in very, very, uh, peculiar environments where it's kind of hard 
for them to stay consistent because they have to worry about all these other different factors instead of just their routine and everything is kind of like thrown at them so that's facts and environment plays such a big role yeah environment but, plays a really big role in everything that we end up doing bro for real yeah that's facts so hey if you have to my my I will always stand behind this man I will always stand behind this change your environment your environment will will uh it's, it's not it's not always just your environment I will say but your environment can be a uh a big not only deterrent but it can be a, always a big uh I won't say but a deterrent sometimes you need a different environment in order to be what you want to be because your environment might not fit you it's not that it's a bad environment it's just might not fit you and what you need at that specific time simple yeah bro that's facts sometimes a, a, a big mistake a lot of people make is they don't get out of their environment fast enough yeah facts once you get out you realize like damn like the grass was the grass was green on the other side. Facts. Gotta make that risk. Take that jump. You know what I'm saying, bro? Take that jump. Whether you make it voluntarily or involuntarily. Yeah, that does not matter. You still gonna make the jump. <laughs> you know, yeah, bro. You still gonna get out. You still gonna get out. Still gonna get out of the system. Once you do it, you do it. Don't don't matter how you do it. No. There are a lot of benefits. That can be reaped from that, for sure, bro. For sure, for sure, for sure. For real. You getting tired? I am, bro. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> are you tired? Are you are you done with the growth mindset episode? I think we should get. I think we should get asked one more question each. Okay. I want to know, as mega cum laude of Howard University. Major alumnus, about to enter the John Hopkins pre-doctoral program. You feel <laughs> me? I want to understand what was your main motivator to get through all four years of this. That's a good question. Um, I'll say that my main motivator was just like, just something I knew I had to do. Um... I, I can't really say I was never like, I can't say I had one thing that was just like motivating me heavily. I mean, bro, like you do school so long, you just kind of, you just kind of do it. Yeah. You know, you kind of, you kind of just, um, you fall into that, that same habit of just knowing when to turn your work in. And you know, that's, that's a good point. Doing all that. I, I can't say it was like something that like, so I don't know if you asked me that or somebody else asked me this. Asked me that same question, but I like, think I did. Yeah, what asked me? What, what motivated me? I also feel like just knowing that what I was studying was was in some way gonna gonna allow me to to help my people and just people that I care about. Um, definitely made it easy for me to get through all four years, especially towards the latter half of college, where I, where I really came into more of a into more of my conscious. Yeah, uh, like mindset. Studying studying political science at Howard, um, 
junior year coming coming back. Do you back. think I have to do with uh, coming back from COVID? What the consciousness? Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if it was COVID or if it was. How much do you think about what you actually experienced though? Um, no, 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 and COVID was, it was, was big, but I, I, I've always thought it was kind of interesting to see how I would have developed if not for COVID. Um, cause I always had consciousness laying within me, but it was always kind of, it was pretty dormant. I I think COVID helped accelerate the process of that consciousness coming out and, um, and just, just becoming more mature and like. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a weird feeling. Just just to say that I'm a graduate of Howard University. Yeah. Um. Like. I. I Howard taught me a lot. You know, just being away from home, just right. being far, for for a while taught me a lot. Like I'm definitely grateful that. I'm grateful for all my friends. Everybody, everybody who stuck with me, throughout this time. You know who you are. Um, it's it's really. Um, I'm I'm just blessed to have been in a place to where I was around like a lot of smart black people. Have been able to get the like-minded. game, like minded people get the game from the professors that I was able to get it from. You know, shout out Dr. Beatty, Dr. Carr, Dr. Myers, Dr. Middlemass, Dr. Harris, Dr. Wright, like. Like all of them, uh, they they helped me out so much. Even thinking about Doctor Wright, who I got on the podcast, who we'll release that episode probably in like a month or something like that. Thank you. Um, but he taught at Howard for fifty years, <sighs> and this was his last year. Wow. And he he went to Howard. He graduated in nineteen sixty four, and and he 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 was there when. When Malcolm X debated wow. Bayard Rustin at Howard University in the fall of 1961, and I had his, I took it as his, his advanced public speaking course around like the first semester last year, and he talked. One of the first things he talked about was was Malcolm X. Wow, and that was crazy because I had just read his autobiography. Literally, I had finished it damn near a week. Before that class, which is just, yeah, it's just crazy how how, how life kind of. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. Kinda there's kinda a reason. There's a reason. And like, I, that is crazy because I just knew I had to finish that book yeah. before my senior year. That was a book yeah. that I knew I had to read. Shit. Um, and you know, I say all that to say is that his class taught me so much about what it means to be a human. Just thinking about things from a different perspective, That's thinking right. about how just because time moves forward, that doesn't mean progress. It's like this is it's the same old. It's the same concept of like. You can have motion, but there's no progress, you know. Human time is always motioning forward, but that doesn't equal progress. You, you can point that directly to the black community yeah. with, with all the false notions of progress that we've, that we've been fed for the past 60 years. Um, and, you know, like, I could go on about my professor, like Dr. Harris is opening my mind to to black political science and all the famous all, all the all the Egyptian scholars who paved the way for the modern philosophies that we have today. Um, that the that the Greeks who we emulate so much in our modern culture learn their knowledge from mm-hmm. the ancient Egyptians, uh, Dr. Carr, 
for those who know Dr. Carr, I don't really need to say much, but just how smart he is in the black world and the passion that he brings, seeing that every day motivated me to become great. Same with Dr. Myers and Dr. Beatty. Man, listening to both of them speak in their own different ways taught me so much about what it truly means to be a black intellectual. And I'm forever grateful. And also, I can't forget Dr. Middlemasters. Her passion, her her class being as fun as it was, she taught me race and public policy. Um, it's 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 just it's it's just a real blessing to have graduated from Howard and to have met the people that I met. And I would say like the biggest lesson that I can give from all this is in any environment that you're in, what you give is what you get. You know, I all these professors who I who I have all these good relationships with, I wouldn't have been able to cultivate these relationships if I didn't go out of my way to make them myself and show the interest in the class. And that's something another something else I can add about what what motivated me to finish it was that just my overall drive to learn and your interest in the class and then the interest in the class because it's like I I'm grateful that my college experience I and during my college experience I was able to to take classes that I enjoyed especially in the latter half which is how it's supposed to be but I was able to take classes that I enjoyed from from people who I could potentially see myself being like so when I when I bring up all these professors I look at them as inspiration of what I could potentially be yeah. if I work as hard as they did to get where they were in front of me Fair. teaching. And I think that it's, it's it's just an example of the omens in life because, you know, I talk about Dr. Harris, like I wouldn't be about to go to Johns Hopkins in this next, in, in this next month if, if I didn't cultivate that relationship with him, which allowed him to tell a professor about how good of a student I was. And then that professor um, recommending me for an election day event, which allowed me to get an internship, which gave me the experience that was needed on my resume in order to get this opportunity. You know, it's, it's all... It's all a domino, you know, like this, this entire year, I had no idea what the fuck I was about to be doing. Yeah. Like for real. That's real. It gave me a lot of anxiety, bro. I the, know. Whole, the whole year. I know. I had no idea. I know. I had no idea what I was going to be doing after college. I know. No idea, bro. And it, it, it impacted my confidence a lot. Yeah. And I say this to say my ultimate lesson is just, just stay the course and be authentic mm. in your journey. Because when you're authentic and you show who you and you are who you truly are in any space, the right people will notice that. Those are the people that you want around you. You want people who are authentic, who are as authentic as you as 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 you are. You know, if you if you go into this world and you're mediocre or just show mediocre interest in something, you're going to get mediocre results. You know. And everything, everything leads into each other. I didn't know what my conversation that I, that I had that, that allowed Dr. Harris 
to introduce me to Dr. Grant. I didn't know what that was going to lead to. But I was just looking for opportunities. So I say that to anybody who's trying to make it in this world. And obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not successful yet. But and for anybody who's trying to make it in this world, if, if you're authentic and you carry passion in your life, the world is your oyster. For real. Yeah, bro. Um, my question to you. What's a good question that I can ask you? I already asked you what you've been up to. I asked you the biggest lesson about beats. How do you think? How do you think you're? You're thinking about blackness as evolved. Oh my God! Listen, um, I'm not gonna lie. I do not know where my perception on blackness was the last time we've had this conversation. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say in this calendar year. How? This calendar how is it? If it's changed, how? How has it changed? It's in. It's it's honestly gotten worse. Um, in in terms of pessimism, <laughs> uh. Because I believe that we really need to separate because of things that I've been reading about and different like events that I've seen happen in current events over the last year. Um, I just I just keep seeing things that keep letting me down on this whole mil- mil- uh, melting pot theory. Uh, we see a lot of people who or investing into the wrong opportunities. Um, I saw something the other day that really kind of pissed me off. Um, while in this, uh, this is not uh, as of like recently, it's not current events, but they highlighted this as of recently. This family sold, once owned 10 houses on one block in Oakland, California. I want you to think about how much that property value could have been, right? for stock in a company or in companies I want you guys to understand that is real estate that is tangible value that is a tangible asset that you have acquired a house even land if you want to take it down to the soil um it's a tangible asset. And you sold it for something that is intangible in belief that a corporation that probably was built by or off the backs of our ancestors. You, you remember what the corporation? You don't know the corporation? Hmm? You don't know the corporation? No, I don't know the corporation, unfortunately. I, I mean, because it's like... It's definitely could be smarter, but investing in the stocks of a corporation, it's not always horrible. It's not, but to get rid of 10 houses, to, and, and that, no, no, it's one thing to invest your money 
in stocks when you are, uh, how do I want to say? It's, it's, it's one thing to invest your money in stocks when you're an inside investor. Or it's one thing to invest your stocks when the income that you're using is uh, regular income. But to take portfolio income when you could have made it passive and turn it into um, risky invest into a risky investment, that's um, that's brainwashing. I'm not gonna lie. That that that's brainwashing on a sense of just not even understanding financial um, financial literacy. What do you think causes people to want to sell that, that, that many properties? Ignorance, I'm ignorance of, of how money works. I'm well. sorry. I just want to give another shout out to Dr. Gray and Dr. Scott, who were my mentors at the Walter Center, especially Dr. Gray. I would not have gotten this fellowship if not for Dr. Gray. She helped me through the interview so much. She really, yeah, shout out to her for real, for real. But what were you saying? Um, the lack of financial literacy. Because if you understood how much money in the world there was and how much um, you could possibly make and how much you could honestly free yourself, you would never even want to sell any land ever. You don't think? I don't know. If if you own 10 houses... You own 10 houses, you rent out 10 houses no, in Oakland, California. But I was about to say, if you own 10 houses... You don't think that, that that family was financially literate? I I don't I don't think you just inherited no, 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 houses no. like no you do. And you, yeah, you gotta understand. You gotta understand that. Let's say your family, because I don't know. Let's say, for instance, your family had ten houses, right? And you and Tori are the have we ever said your sister's name on this podcast? We can do now. We can, we can edit that out. Pretend that you have 10 houses. Are you actually going to edit it out? Yeah. Right. Uh, pretend you had 10 houses, right? And you and your sister uh, are the only two grandchildren, right? Your uncles and 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 uh and, and aunties all pass and all their houses now belong to you. That's how simple that is. Mm. Okay, that's or funny. any houses that had happened in the last three generations. I mean, I, I would I would love to see like a little more like information about the family though, and like what made them want to do that. Because they believed in the wrong things. They didn't believe in tangible assets. They believed in risky assets. Those type of assets that might go through. Those things that might not go through. Like the lottery. Which is why a lot of black people love to invest in a lottery. It depends on the company though. The lottery is at $1.5 billion, Or $1.05 billion right now. Actually, it might be one point one five billion now. 
Like, okay, okay, now, but, like, still, uh, like, I feel like it depends on the company. I'm not saying what they did was smart, but if they invested in, a, like, fucking... An IRA? Is that what you're thinking? There's just any company that, that's, like, that, that's about to be booming, you know? Any company. They might become richer off that. That is very true. Because but as I said, that's a risky investment. Scare money don't make money. That's very true. But you do not sell 10 houses in order to invest into stock. That's just not something that's, that you do. That's true. You don't do that. You could probably sell five if you own 10. I, I would understand that. But to sell all 10, are you crazy? You probably sold all... I'm not going to say you probably sold all of them. Because you because I hope that you had 20. <laughs> I hope you had 20 houses. Do you... So, like... This this situation, you said it made you more pessimistic? Yes, because we don't understand how large and how great this country has made how easy it how how easy it has made how over the last years it has made it easy for us to free ourselves. We just ha- we we don't choose to be we don't choose to be enslaved. But that's one thing I I recently uh come to terms with we don't choose to be enslaved it's that we can't help but be enslaved we can't help but be enslaved and that's real we can't we can't help but be enslaved we can't you know what I'm saying so this mindset into worshipping masses the the black American stream of consciousness Unfortunately, that's, for real, that's, that's how we've came up as a culture, as a as a race and in America. I want to say that it is now time for us to lead in a sense of lead each other and produce for each other good results that have you know good ramifications. You know what I'm saying? And good, consistent results. When I say results, I mean you want your fellow brother to do well in his business. Consistently repost him. Consistently support his brand. Every time he drops a season, make sure one of your friends buys something. Every time he drops a new song. You can at least repost it even if you don't listen to it. Somebody's going to like it. You see... uh, I feel like people who don't create don't understand that. That's true. But let me... Let me... Let me... I'm I'm not saying it's it's, it's a a good philosophy to have. Yeah. But but let me me try to explain. Let me try to touch those people. For those who don't create you have tried to create and because you cannot create you know how hard it is deep down because now you have accepted a role of non-expressing because you've deemed it to be harder than it is or less um, less important because it doesn't come to us it doesn't come um, as easy to you. But, ironically, 
everybody loves the results of these expressions, which is why everybody listens to music and goes to concerts, which is why everybody watches movies, which is why everybody still enjoys the activities and the expressions of life bro I, I, I feel like a lot of people don't don't like to feel like they're the only person supporting something that's true like a lot of people don't cause like it, it, it takes some like some level of like risk and balls to like support something that's not being supported to support yeah to, to support something that's not popular to support something that 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 a lot of people aren't on the wave of yet it takes a select type of person to actually want to like support something that 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 hasn't reached master level yet. You right. know, um, it's um, and it can definitely be frustrating sometimes, bro. You know, you want people to like appreciate what you got going on, but it's like you know, like a wise brother once told me, you're not trying to reach that audience. It don't like. You could have fucking ten of your friends repost you. I don't mean shit. You might, you might get a few listeners off of that, but it's not gonna change. At the end of the day, I'm begging, begging for the yeah, recognition, for begging for the recognition of your friends. It's not gonna. But you can ask for the. Your friends are very important to your network. Your friends are important. But they are nowhere near the end all be all. No, but they're important. They are. They are important to your network. Well, I don't know. It's kind of a thing for me. It's kind of like trying not to like. I'm trying to like stay in reality with things. It's like I I, I would love if all my friends reposted the podcast. Of course, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But it's not it's gonna not, happen. It's not gonna happen. I would love if all of them commented on our on our post. I, I would. I would love that. I would love if they come to the TikTok. If you listen on, if you listen to this, follow the follow the Black Lotus TikTok, follow the Black Lotus Instagram, and while you at it, leave a review Subscribe. on the Black Lotus page on Apple Podcasts. You ain't even got You ain't even got to write a review. Just go over there next time you listen and just type five and stars. just put that five stars. Yeah, that five stars. That's all you got to do. Show yeah, us some support. Stars. We're not even asking y'all for money. Just give me that five star. We just, just give us that five star. Give us that follow. Give me that thumbs up. Even give us that. Give us your thoughts and opinions when you see something. Because we are here trying to trying to stir up intellectual thought within the community. DMs are open. DMs are open. You know, I, 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 I doubt any of y'all going to DM. So just do the bare minimum and just put that five star. <laughs> you know. Give us a fire emoji at that, please. <laughs> Shit. Even follow us on Spotify, you know. Once once we get a certain number a certain number of followers on Spotify, we get certain perks. Yeah. I'm trying to get the perks so we can keep bringing that fire content to y'all. Facts. You know, all, all y'all support is is always appreciated and it's always you know, it's always needed. That's perfect. That's, I think that's a perfect segue to just conclude, bro. You feel me? Perfect place. I like to say that this was a great podcast. Uh, thank you, Josiah, for staying until one o'clock in the fucking morning. Good morning. Don't don't start screaming, bro. You gonna make me mad. <laughs> you gonna make me mad, bro. 
Yeah, um, but now nah, this was a good episode, bro. It's definitely um, growth mindset three, man. I'm glad I was able to reflect on life and just things that I've learned. I'm glad you was able to do the same thing as well. Yeah, man. We haven't been able to do it in a minute. Yeah, almost a year. Actually, beyond a year. Yeah, for real though. It it, it has been beyond a year, but they don't really feel like it. Yeah, no. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. It was like yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, it does. But now this was two hours, bro. That's great. That's great. My first, my first two hour podcast a minute. So, for real, yeah. How long? How long is it exactly? Yeah, right now it's two hours and three minutes. That's cool. That's cool. I'm probably gonna edit it down to about hour, hour fifty six and some change. Probably. I say like maybe fifty eight. Fifty nine. Yeah. Seven minutes is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of cutting. But are right, y'all? You all made it through another Black Lotus episode. I just want to thank you guys so much for listening to, you know, our narratives and how we are trying to push them. Um, You're honestly just your average black man, average young black man. And uh, we we support all, I mean, we appreciate all support. And we can't ask for anything more from you guys, but just that. Thank you so much. And uh, as long as we show love, We shall stay consistent. Peace and one love. Pow!